0: Bow with me as we do prayer illumination. Heavenly Father, in your word, you tell us that unless you build the house, the workers labor in vain. So in this time together, as we gather around your word, may you build this house by your Holy Spirit. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you want us to see and hear and open our hearts that we might be transformed at the reading of your holy word. In your son's most precious name we pray and all God's people said "Amen." our reading comes from uh, Genesis 11 1 through 9 that will be found uh, on page 10 of your pew Bibles hear the word of the Lord now the whole earth had one language and the same words and as people migrated from the east They found a plain in the land of Shinar Shinar, and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. Because they're because they're the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Thanks, Chuck. Appreciate that. Thanks for
1: bearing with me. I was up at twelve thirty uh, Friday night with Jake, uh, trying to chase high school kids, make them go home from the A house. They just like being there too much. So <laughs> it's been a long weekend, but a good one. We are going through on uh, the story, uh, the great overview. Um, of the book of Old and New Testament, if you haven't had a chance. We've gotten through the Gospels, which have been wonderful, and now we're at the place chronologically where Christ has risen. He's appeared to uh, the 10, he's appeared to 11, to to, 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 uh, Thomas, to Peter, to over 500 people. And now they just wonder, what what do we do now? What's going to happen next? And that's where we pick up the story in the second chapter of Acts, verses 1 through 12. This will be our reading, the second chapter of Acts, verses 1 through 12, Imagine several hundred believers from all over all over the nations all over that area there waiting for God to do something. Hear what Luke says in Acts chapter 2 verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived they were all together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all those who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God, and all were amazed and perplexed and said to one another, "What does this mean?" And my favorite part, but others said, "They must be filled with new wine." <laughs> this is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for a moment, Father. Uh, these are your words, and as Chuck read, so prayed so well that we. If we build the house on our own, it will fail, but we know if you build the house, we labor not in vain. So would you build this house in the sermon this time? May the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts be acceptable, O Lord, in your ears. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So I know that some of you know I grew up in Austin, middle school, high school. I was a hippie kid. Uh, My kids love to carry around an old picture of me, my driver's license. When I was a freshman at UT, I have a fro and a beard that's just a circle of hair. My one son said, Dad, you either look like Jesus or Charles Manson? We're not sure which one. But I, I just was this hippie kid. I didn't know anything about cowboys or country music. I was all in rock and roll and Woodstock. And uh, my senior year later, my senior year, I was gr- dating this young woman from a uh, uh, West Texas girl grew up on a ranch. And her, <laughs> she took me, this hippie kid with hair and earth shoes and bell-bottoms and puka shell and all, It took me to the ranch. <laughs> that was quite an experience. I guess it was the true test of our relationship. And we, sure enough, out in this West Texas ranch, get this big Cadillac with our grandfather, and we're just driving through the field in a Cadillac, and he looks at me and goes, what's your name, boy? I said, Kim. Dead silence. You got another name? <laughs> I said, well, my first name is actually Kenneth. My middle name is Kim. He goes, I think I'll call you Kenneth. <laughs> So I pull up to the gate and he goes, Once you get that gate, son. I'm like, I, I, what, I don't know what get that gate means. I, what are you talking about? So I hop up. He just take the, So I, There's this gate and there's this loop of barbed wire at the top and it's, it's tight. And I'm trying to open the gate and I'm trying to push the barbed wire. And he's like kind of sitting there having fun with me. And girlfriend, family are all in there just watching this hippie kid trying to open a g- cow gate. And he goes, He also he he goes, Use the cheater bar. Use that cheater bar. So apparently there's a, an iron bar, bar hanging there, and you're supposed to use the cheetah bar, and I have no idea. Well, what you're supposed to do is use it as a leverage. Get that loop off. I take the cheetah bar, and I'm just beating on the We <laughs> so, get back in the car, and goes, yep, you're from Austin, aren't you? <laughs> so, but I didn't grow up around country. I didn't grow up around country music at all until uh, I went, met my wife, Lisa. My wife, Lisa, is a little bit country, and I was a little bit rock and roll, and she introduced me to all these great country songs and I I just started really loving country music because it's all about the breakup. It's all about splitting up. It's all about broken hearts. And it's just some great theology, some great words. I just wrote down some of my my favorite titles um, of country music about splitting up or breaking up. Here's one She got the gold mine, I got the shaft. A uh, shot the jukebox last night, said it played a sad song and made him cry. <laughs> this one says, my wife ran off with my best friend. I sure do miss him. If you want to keep the beer real cold, put it next to my ex's heart. And then my wife's favorite, how come your dog don't bite nobody else but me? <laughs> and then this one, my wife loves this one. She goes, I want you to love me like my dog does. Then there's my old favorite, my dad used to sing. I got tears in my ears from lying in bed crying over you at nights. Songs about breakup, songs about splitting up. That's all the great songs. And it seems like, going back to an old song of the 60s of my life, Neil Sadaka said, breaking up is hard to do. But it doesn't really seem like these days, with all that's going on, the breaking up for human beings, for people, is not that hard to do. It's not that hard to walk away from relationships. It's not that hard to walk away from churches. Not that hard to walk away from each other. In fact, it's kind of our nature. From the Beatles, to Simon and Garfunkel, Sonny and Sheer back in my day, to Brad and Angela this today, or Taylor Swift and fill in the blank. I mean, just, it's not that hard. We just keep walking away from each other. Someone called this the law of atrophy. That atrophy is the temptation of things to go from a state of order to a state of disorder. That everything left on its own will deteriorate. Keller says that's especially true Tim Keller says that atrophy is actually true in relationships. He says this: on our own power, all relationships will eventually break down. That guy you grew up with, that you played ball with, that you just don't talk to anymore. That couple that you used to go out to dinner with, that you kind of avoid each other now. At the, when you see at the grocery store. That coworker that you started off so great with, and now you won't even talk to each other. That buddy that you started a business with and now there's lawsuits and you're mad at each other. That family member she you can't stand to be in the same room with or they can't stand for you to be in the same room with. That, that family that used to be down there at the end of the pew. That, that, that marriage that we thought would never fall apart. Relationships given on their own power, just like a bad country western song, will fall apart. Why is that? What's that about? Why is it that we can't just stay together? Why is breaking up and breaking off and breaking away too easy for our culture? Why do we keep finding these broken relationships as we go through and try to serve the Lord, even in our church, especially in the church? I like uh, what's the lesson here uh, in Babel. We kind of get a clue to what we're like and why, at least in my life, why uh, relationships tend to deteriorate and tend to be hard work. You know the story. It's believed in around 610 B.C., Nimrod. Uh, was the, the emperor, the, the power of that area somewhere in Mesopotamia, King Nabalazar. All of human nature after the flood, the human society that we know was together. They spoke one language. They were very gifted, very talented. And one day they decided to build not only a tower, and that's really kind of that's really kind of dumbing it down. They were going to build a city, like a New York City, with an amazing edifice. Actually, it's called a ziggurat. It's actually their own man-made mountain. It's a man-made hill. It, it, it had 26 bronze-covered gates in it. It had a, a complete highway that spiraled up the top where they had lodging. It, they had actually grew crops when they started this whole thing for however long they started it. It was believed to be at least 300 feet to maybe almost 1,000 feet It was actually discovered, uh, abandoned, of course, because of what happened in Scripture, but it's actually believed that Alexander the Great from Greece came upon what was left of uh, the Tower of Babel and he had it dismantled by his soldiers and taken back home to Greece and he wanted to rebuild it, but he died before that happened of a disease. It was believed to be until 1889 that this was the tallest man-made structure on the face of the earth until the Eiffel Tower, which is over 1,000 feet. What an amazing undertaking. It says, let us reach the heavens. If you look at what was their goal, was it just to have a great city? What what were they all about? And why would God want to wipe this out? Because as they begin to build this magnificent structure, there's a conversation between the Trinity. It says, let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are having this conversation. It says, you know what? We need to go down and we need to, Confuse them and separate their languages. Because if they keep focusing this way on their own self, who knows what they'll do? They will think they're gods. Let's just go down and disperse them and confuse their language. The word babble means chaos or confusion. And you can just picture this. I mean, this was Rosetta Stone's greatest moment. Because they're all working together and they're talking the same language. And all of a sudden, a guy says, can you hand me that brick? And all of a sudden, this guy says, que? Uh, can you hand me that brick? Uh, no, i list. That's all my eight years of Spanish will do for me right there. And French and Italian and Ethiopian. And all of a sudden, everyone is speaking a different language. They can't communicate. They can't organize. They fight. And they disperse out into the world. And the tower is unfinished. Why? What's, why did they have to break up? Why, why would God stop this great achievement? Well, here's the clue. And this is the same clue for why we tend to break apart as families as friends as churches as congregations Genesis 11:4 gives a key to us Come let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves It wasn't just some great beautiful tower that was going to be a mile high or whatever it was the heart not the height It was that they decided that they were God and they wanted to have a name for themselves and they wanted to be known as the most powerful people in the whole universe. And it's a pagan culture. They were going to be doing pagan sacrifices, even sacrificing children at the top of this ziggurat. They wanted to build their own kingdom and be gods. And that's where God, the father and son said, no, that's the problem with mankind is you keep saying my will instead of thy will. And he confused them. And he sent them away because they wanted to be in charge. Bill O'Reilly has a new book out called The Killing of Reagan. He's done a whole series, Lincoln, Kennedy, The Killing of Reagan. There's just a uh, docudrama documentary. I can't say it. There was a TV show recently uh, called Killing Reagan. And it shows Al Haig. If you remember what happened, John Hinckley uh, shoots Reagan and shoots uh, another man uh, almost kills another man. And uh, uh, Vice President Bush is away from uh, the, the Capitol. They're putting Reagan under anesthesia, and there's some constitutional crisis about who's in charge. And Al Haig, who's like the Secretary of State, sits around the cabinet and goes, I'm in charge. Let it be clear, I'm the man in charge. Well, actually, constitutionally, he was about the fifth guy down. There's still the Speaker of the House, the, there's two or other, three other people ahead of him, but he's like, I'm in charge. I'm I'm in command, and the scripture says that's why we can't get along. That's why we break apart. That's why we have confusion and babble, because Kim Telly says, I'm going to do it my way. We say, I'm going to do it this way. I'm in charge. I'm building a name for myself. I'm going to do it this way. It's all about me. And we think we're in charge when really it's God that's in charge of his church and his kingdom. We're building our own mini kingdoms, our own little babbles, and that's why... We split apart. That's why the church is not known as the place to go to be included. It's why I have so many young people and Gap because I don't want to go to church because of the hypocrisy there. I don't want to go to church because my parents used to be in a small group, and now they don't even follow Jesus anymore. My dad used to go to this church, and they kicked him out. That's why building our own monuments split and caused divisiveness in the church. And me and my ego and others caused people to say, I'm done. So how do we undo this? How do we move from our own personal mementos and monuments and building our own kingdom and make it all about ourselves and splitting and continuing to break off with relationships? How do we move to what God intended for the body of Christ where he said his only prayer John 17, he prayed before he was killed, not for himself. He prayed this, that they may be one as we, God the Father and Holy Spirit are one. That's his desire. That's the body. That's the kingdom he wants to build. Not a man-made monument to self-will. Not a man-made egotistical edifice. But the body of Christ. How do we get there? Well, this is a sermon I don't want to preach. I need to be sitting where you are. This is my sermon to myself. In light of my continually dealing with my own ego and thinking that I can do this or that. and, And God's going to bless it. Here's some things I see in Acts 2, 1 through 12 that are helpful, I think, for us and perhaps you personally, but definitely for me. I want you to notice the all-togethers in Acts 2, 1 through 12. The first thing it says is they were all together in one place. That the place that we see Christ, in a way we can see him no other place, is we keep showing up. We keep coming to church even if we don't like the music. We keep coming even though we're mad at someone across the street. We keep coming even though we may be at friction. We keep showing up. Tim Keller says you cannot achieve Christian maturity by yourself. Just you and Jesus are your little holy huddle. You have to keep interacting with other sinners in the body of Christ wherever it is or you will not know the fullness of Jesus. We can't just walk away. Yes, God may call you to another church, another body, another fellowship, but he calls you there, not because you're leaving something you're dissatisfied with, but because you're going somewhere he's called you to. I'm not trying to say stay here at First Press, but why do we leave? The scripture says, stay together in one place. Hebrews 9, 12 says, do not forsake assembling together as is the habit of some. Don't give up on the body of Christ. Bill Heibel says, the local church is still the greatest hope for Jesus Christ on the face of the earth. Don't give up on this sinful institution, wherever you go, keep showing up because the Holy Spirit will be there. In fact, it says they were all together in one place and it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. How about that? When we come together, (laughs) as much as we like or don't don't like each other or mad about issues, if we keep coming together, sitting next to each other, the Holy Spirit will be there. And it says not he will bless you or touch you, or you'll get a taste of it, and he will fill. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. As they're seen there from all countries, all over the world, not Pharisees, not scribes, not religious, professional clergy, the Holy Spirit begins to rush through. They're probably on a giant stairway in front of Solomon's temple, hundreds of them. The Holy Spirit rushes through, worse than a, better than a West Texas wind, and then tons of flames of fire, tons, ton, tons of fire. Fire always means the holiness of God. Before Christ's death and resurrection, the Holy Spirit only came on prophets, priests, or kings. Now it's for everybody. There's no clergy. There's no lay. It's the body of Christ. Everyone is filled with the Holy Spirit. And the scripture says that's what we have to be. The only way we are going to keep at this, that my marriage, my friendships, our ministry, our church, our committees, our body, is if we keep going to the Holy Spirit and saying, I need you to fill these man-made monuments. I need you to rid them of my life. I need you to tear down these babbles in my life. And I need you to build up the kingdom of God only by being filled by the Holy Spirit and that's a daily thing. And then I love this. They all heard the same language. They all, again, Rosetta's nightmare. Rosetta Stone Company nightmare. They all began hearing the same language. Yes, they were speaking of tongues. People speaking languages they didn't know. But here's what's really happening. Peter... And his galilean accented Aramaic is up there preaching the gospel. Or John or James. They're just good old boys getting up, fishermen talking about Jesus being raised from the dead. And people from Ethiopia and Crete and Rome and Greek, Jews that came there, all of a sudden begin hearing Peter speak their language. All of a sudden, Peter is a multilinguist. Peter is speaking in Greek and in Hebrew and in Ethiopian and Swahili and 30-something languages there and they hear him in their language. It's like the UN when the US ambassador is speaking and everyone from all these hundreds of countries have a translator and they hear it in their language. That's what the Holy Spirit they're all speaking the same language. It's the undoing of babel. It's the reversal. Instead of confusion there's community. Instead of complete misunderstanding there's clarity. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. That's what happens. How can we all hear the same language? Well, not not through my preaching or not through my theology or Howard's or Murray's or somebody's opinion or all the blogs and all the opinions. The only way we can speak the same language is this language. If we're hearing this language and we're going to this language together and individually, we'll be on the same page. We'll be in the same book. (laughs) Even though it'll be different, it'll be challenging. We will stay together because the scriptures causes us to unity. We will hear grace and forgiveness. Then I love these other two things. All were amazed, astonished, and perplexed. They were blown away. They're sitting there with people who different languages, different skin colors, uh, different smells, uh, different food, prayer, uh, totally different cultures. The most multi-ethnic church maybe in history. Countries from every civilization. And all of a sudden, they don't care anymore what their hair looks like or what kind of clothes they're wearing or how they smell or what kind of food they ate. They see the power of God through the Holy Spirit, and all that melts away because they're in the presence of a holy God. 2006, Mel Gibson put together a movie called Apocalypto, based on a partially true story of historical events. It takes place in the Mexican Yucatan Peninsula and down in Central America. It's based on a true tribe of Mayans that were a superior tribe, had superior weapons, and they would go into Central America, Honduras, and they would kidnap other tribes, bring them all the way to their temple there in Honduras. Uh, It's outside of Copan. I've actually been there. They would take them up this temple. They would cut their heads off, take their hearts out, let their blood run into a pool. We stood on the top of that temple where the heads rolled down. There's a cement, there's a little gully just for blood. Frightening place. This is where this uh, movie takes place. These kidnappers take this, uh, these families from another tribe and they take them, they're about to kill them. There's an eclipse, they think it's their god. Uh, somehow two of them, Jaguar Paw and another, they, they, they escape and they're running. They kill the chief's son, they kill others while they're trying to get away. So they send an army, these superior minds send an army to chase Jaguar Paw. And the whole movie is just them chasing him until finally he gets back to his home where his wife and baby still are, and there's only two uh, left of the men that were coming after him. He's killed the others, and they finally trap Jaguar Paw on the beach. And they're on the ocean behind him, and these men in front of him, it's all over. He falls down on his knees, he's about to be killed. Both eight warriors come up with a club about to kill him, and right before they strike, they look up at the, the ocean, and their mouths drop open, and they drop their weapons, and they just walk right past their enemy, And they fall on their knees because for the first time in history, a white man, the conquistadors on their Spanish Armada have reached the shores of Central America and they've never seen a white European. They've never seen a ship. They've never seen armor. And they fall down in amazement and they forget about killing Jaguar Paw. Folks, if we could look at the face of God, if we could be in awe and amazed and overwhelm and just in what it says, just amazed by looking at Christ, we won't have time for the petty things that get in our way and keep us from loving one another and staying together. All were amazed, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the Author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him despised the cross, endured his shame, and seated at the right hand of God. If I'm looking more at Jesus, I'm not going to pick you apart so much. And I love this last part. They were all accused of being drunk. <laughs> They were so delighted, and having so much fun, and, and, and so l- thrilled, and so much laughter. People thought they must be drinking. Friday night we had about eighty high school kids over here. And they were doing karaoke, and, and they were at a campfire, and they were out playing games, and we were just having a great time, and everything was going great. About eleven thirty, I looked down. There's five police cars. Sorry, Howard. There's five police cars in the parking lot. And now I'm uh-oh. Here we go. I walk out there and go, gentlemen, can I help you? He goes, Who are these kids? Oh, are. they're having a good time. We haven't seen one beer bottle. We haven't seen one joint. Who the heck are you guys? So, well, we're just A and O kids. Goes. This is so encouraging to us. But, but you might want to turn it down. We can hear you on I forty. <laughs> thank you, gentlemen. They couldn't believe high school students having a good time without being high or stoned. Wouldn't it be great if we were accused of being drunk because we were so full of the Holy Spirit and so loved? So, how do we get here? Personally for me, this is my sermon to myself. How do I undo the babble in my own life? This is a few things for me as we wrap up. My first is to look in the mirror. Like Michael Jackson said, I need to look in the mirror. I'm the man in the mirror. I need to look at myself first. There's got to be some changes. Instead of me telling everybody else what they need to do, and if only they did this, and only the church did that, and only this did that, is it starts with Kim Talley. To look in the mirror and say, if there's a constant problem with relationships, I'm the common denominator. What am I going to do about it? This log keeps bumping into other people's eyes. Start with me. The second thing is to be quick to forgive. Instead of nursing grudges and holding on to bitterness and holding on to grudges for years and years, it's just to be quick to forgive, the scripture says. If Christ can forgive me, who can't I forgive? The word wreath and the word wrath come from the same Greek word. It means to twist. It means to take branches and to twist to make a wreath. The word wrath, if I keep not forgiving, It will twist and distort my soul. It will twist and distort our heart where we can't forgive. We've got to be quick to forgive. Speak the truth in love. Not mushy love that always forgives and never holds anyone accountable, but not dogged legalism that demands everyone follow the rules just like me. Somewhere that healthy truth and grace in the middle. Some of you lean towards grace and you need some truth. Some of us lean towards truth. Some people towards grace. Christ says be in the middle. The next, be ready to let it go. Every family in here that has a kid under nine years old, they can sing Let It Go from Frozen word by word. Words are horrible, title is great. There's a point, just let it go. Absorb the blow. Christ died for that. Don't always demand justice. Don't always demand repayment. Sometimes we just absorb the blow because Christ absorbed the blows for us. Next, seek to be reconciled, not to just be right. Seek reconciliation. Stay in the game. Don't walk out the door. Don't leave. Keep coming back to the table in the name of Christ. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And lastly, I can only do this in Christ. I don't have the ability. I'm a selfish, babel building man-monument person. I can only go to Christ and do all things to Christ. I can only go to Christ who gave up his self, who let his tower, his body be torn down so that we can be built up who gave up himself so that you and I can find ourselves in Jesus and not worry about being all about me. Keller says this, the reason we will have to hold ourselves accountable for our relationships is that mutual love in the Christian community is super hard. It's not easy. Jesus has brought incompatibles together. Does that sound like us? Jesus has brought incompatibles together. But the reason we will want to hold ourselves accountable for our relationships is that mutual love in the Christian community is one of the main ways the world will see who Jesus is. Do you get that? It's not how well we get along. It's not how happy and great we are that's going to bring Jesus to, into this building and people to Jesus. It's how we manage and stick with it through conflict, how we continue to fight to be together in the name of Christ, no matter what. We stay in the game for the sake of Christ the gospel. So we must never give up on each other we must pursue each other in love. Christ says it a very simple way by this, all men shall know you're my disciples, that you love one another. Closing the midst of the most hateful, vitriolic campaign in the history of the United States, whatever side you're on, someone said that 53% of Americans right now are experiencing mental stress because of the nature of this campaign. Whatever side you're on, but then the word grace popped up in the media last week. In the midst of all this hate and leaks and emails, the word grace popped up. Not any political point, any direction here, I want you to hear me, but someone released a letter that George Bush left senior after losing the election to Bill Clinton. And the last thing Bush did before leaving the White House was he would a handwritten letter to Bill Clinton who had just defeated him. He left it on his desk, resolved the resolution desk It was there, the president's desk. So the first thing, Bill Clinton walked into the uh, Oval Office, his office. There was a handwritten letter. Read part of it to you. January 1st, 1920. Excuse me. 1st, January 20th, 1993. I wish you great happiness here. You will be our president when you read this. I wish you well. I wish your family well. Your success is our country's success. I am rooting for you and for your family. Good luck to you, George Bush. Grace. It can be amazing if we don't build our own towers and care about our own name and care about our own rights. We choose grudges or grace. We choose wrath or reconciliation. Will we choose Babel or Pentecost. I choose Pentecost. I got a lot of work to do. How about you? Let's pray. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Melt us, mold us, fill us, use us. Father, may we be people of Pentecost, not Babel. In the name of Christ.